The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Giving? Right. Man, that was a good time. Uh, all right, uh, real quick, any, any prayer requests? I'll, I'll scoot close, closer, Chris. <laughs> any, any prayer requests? Before we get started, I just want to give everyone anyone opportunity to any additional prayer, and we'll uh, pray for them. Uh, just a quick update: uh, my dad was actually able to return home. Uh, they finally was able finally able to get him out of the hospital. Got enough water off his body because uh, he had the double heart surgery, but uh, that was successful, and so now he's finally home. So that was, that was definitely uh, something my mom was hoping for. So it's good to have him home, get him, uh, get him fed well, so he can regain his strength. But all right, so we're tonight we're discussing salvation. This ought to be a good one. I see Greg is waiting eagerly to dive into this one. So without further ado, I will get us started, and uh, and then we'll dive in together, and I'll open up us up in prayer, and we'll get after it. So join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you, thank you again to be able to meet together as a body of Christ tonight and study your word, especially in the realm of salvation. Uh, we, just, uh, we just look forward to seeing what your word clearly says to us about salvation and all that, all that it points us to and ultimately to your glory. We're just thankful, Father, for this, for this study tonight. Thank you for the body of believers that are here with us, and we also pray for those that are not with us. And we just lift them up to you, Father. We're just so grateful to to meet together here this evening and we just uh, we just give you praise for that in your name we pray amen all right let's dive in so the objectives for our lesson tonight and we're on lesson six if you're keeping track is we're going to talk about a person's salvation is a sovereign work of god we're going to look at the un and un we're going to look at the under what it means and understand the conversion and the evidences of those conversions and then we're going to dig into the challenges that we face in our own salvation so this ought to be a good one and then uh, another uh, then our plan is first we're going to look at the depravity of man we're going to do a quick review on that and then we're going to discuss the sovereignty of God in salvation and then we're going to discuss man's responsibility in salvation and then we're going to look at the review process of the or excuse me we're going to look at the conversion process and the evidence of genuine salvation so depravity of man, sovereignty of God and salvation, man's responsibility in salvation, and the conversion process and genuine salvation. All right, question for you, something to mull over as we work through the lesson. If God is sovereign in salvation, then why is man still responsible? So if God is sovereign in salvation, then why is man still responsible? And then next... Another question to mull over, how do I know if I'm a Christian? So what evidences are there of genuine salvation? So we're going to tackle those t tonight in 40 minutes, <laughs> in 45 minutes. So yes, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a fast one, so we'll get after it. A lot of scripture tonight for you. Uh, I hope the lesson was helpful and beneficial. The homework uh, sets this lesson up well, so we're just going to dig more into the meat of meat and potatoes if you will of what scripture says about it and then also um you know to flush out any questions you might have so feel free if you got questions we'll we'll look at those as well and you know we'll we'll use our collective minds together to answer each other's questions because i am by no means an expert in this area especially concerning salvation because we're all i believe i at different steps in our sanctification wrestling with what it means what salvation means, what does that look like, how does that play out in our lives, what what does it look like to help other believers along that process as well. So this, this is, good, this is going to be a good good talk. So um, everyone doing all right with the with the homework? Um, I know Greg has warned us a few times that it can be it can be a lot at times, but uh, but at uh, any point in time, if you're needing the answers, um, I, I can pull those for you. But they're all over the internet. I found a couple sites that that can fill in the blanks for you if there's a few that you're like, oh, I'm not sure on this one. Or you can just grab me afterwards and I can provide you the answers. 
Also, uh, did anyone get a chance to listen to the to the lesson that that uh, John MacArthur's sermon on on this lesson? So, if you do get an opportunity, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a good one. It really is. Uh, uh, I, I do I do enjoy his work. So that so I especially enjoyed this one today. All right, so let's get after it. So God's sovereignty and salvation. This is our first area we're going to look at. So the primary purpose of this lesson is to view, is is to view salvation as a sovereign work of God. So what does that look like? And then we also want to understand that salvation is solely a work of God, but this also requires an understanding that we, as a human race, we have no capability to save ourselves. So therefore, before we get into this discussion of understanding what God's sovereignty is in salvation, it's important to understand where we start from. And I want to look real quickly at uh, Ephesians to kind of set the stage uh, from death to life, and then we'll get into Romans, which really brings us out in Romans 3, 10 through 12. And we've, we've hit this passage a few times already. Uh, I'll go ahead and cover Romans, uh, excuse me, Ephesians. We'll look at chapter 2, and I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and read Romans 1 through, or, man, I'm already in Romans. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'll go ahead and read that for us. Uh, so, and we were dead. You were dead in our transgressions and sins, in which you previously walked according to the worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the, in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. Oh, sorry, I lost my place. And by nature we were children under wrath, as the others were also. But God... In his abundance, in abundance in mercy, because, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace you are saved. We also, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might display the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ, for by grace you are saved through faith, and in this, not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. As a, as a big doctrinal statement, there's a lot of truth in that section to unpack um, I'm sure you saw the in there that points towards the predestination, the election portion of of doctrine. Uh, that's a, that's another area that that are, there is contestment on what that means in the Christian faith. We'll kind of scratch at that surface tonight. Uh, I hope that I hope some of what Scripture says uh, helps with that. But we can always we can always dig in more as well. So there's plenty of Scripture uh, for us to look at tonight. Wish we could look at it all, but let's start with the, the, the excuse me the depravity of man. So God's so this is God's um, understood. So this paints the picture of where we're at. None are righteous, and no one understands what it means to seek out salvation. So Romans chapter three nine through twenty captures the the entire the the entirety of what it means to be guilty before God, but we're just going to drill in uh, on verses ten through twelve. So as it, as, it is, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. So this is what Scripture reminds us of: that we were all dead in our trespasses. We had no ability to bring life or a life to ourselves to seek salvation on our own. But yet we know that there are there's the preaching of of the gospel that goes out, and then there's the Holy Spirit that works in us to generate the light, the scales fall off our eyes, if you will, and then we respond to the gospel. So we'll, we'll get into that. And then we also see that we are we have all turned aside. We have turned away from God. We do not recognize on our own ability the goodness that God is there, is giving us through 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 the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And then also that we have a, we're the fallen nature, we're alienated from God, and we're spiritually dead. And then we're helpless to save ourselves. So this is uh, the understanding that the Bible lays out for us to, 
to help others who are unre or that are ungenerated or uh, don't have the understanding of what it means to come to salvation, we can help them through Scripture see this foundation that they are not seeking after God. They're just seeking their own desires. So, so, so now we're going to look into God's sovereignty. That was, that was a quick set stage for the depravity of man. And now we're going to look at what it means that we don't have any power on our own to respond to God. And it, it, is, it is God who seeks out man. And so this leads us to understand and recognize that salvation is the total work of God, which, which we want to make sure that we, we leave here with a pretty firm understanding of what that means and what it means to create a response in us of what that looks like. And so generally understanding that more in depth just generates this, this fountain of, of continuous thanksgiving and praise to him. Because, I mean, what, what's uh, one of the catechisms they... Uh, the children look at is you know what's the chief end of man is to glorify God and that and that's and that's our and to enjoy Him forever. So that's another great thing to reflect upon is that that was what we were created for ultimately. So um, and then also we want to remind ourselves of the thanksgiving that we have towards God and then also what it means to pray for others who are who are not who have not come to salvation. In, in Jesus Christ yet. So this it's kind of helps set the stage in our minds and then have a right orientation on how we interact with others. All right, any questions so far? Okay. <laughs> All right, so I, I got a few questions for y'all. So uh, I'm getting there though. Um, they're coming soon. So, so as we're looking at this process where God's sovereignty is in salvation, we also want to look at, at how one person comes to salvation. So the process to salvation. So we also want to understand what it means, what, what that looks like in the light of God's foreknowledge and God's purpose. Because we know that there, you know, we all have a design by God for us to carry out while we're here on this earth. And we want, to, we want to have the right understanding of that. And then we also want to understand the responsibility in light of God's sovereignty and uh, of uh, God's sovereign choice. And then also there's the responsibility of man. Um, excuse me, the purpose uh, for us when it comes to helping others understand the responsibility of salvation, there's still a responsibility that rests on us. So, also getting that. Hope that's not confusing, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. All right, so anyway, uh, so we just looked at Romans, so let's, so, I, so now I have a question for you. Um, but let's first look at Romans 8, uh, 29 through 30. So we're going to kind of camp out here just for a little bit. Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30. And I'll read that for us. So we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and those he predestined he also called and those he called he also justified and those he justified he also glorified all right so in light of this scripture we want to understand the process the plan the process the plan if you will uh, interchangeable of salvation you know in the way that um in the way we see god's sovereignty carried out and then and then the direction God's sovereignty takes in this process, and then we. So, so if you notice, there's there's some links in there, right? We notice there's about there's five links in this chain. So there's four new, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. So it's a link in the chain of salvation, if you will. God linking Himself to us in in, in salvation. So four new, predestined, called, justified, glorified. So these words, you know, these, does anyone? I'm, I'm sure we've all heard these words at some. Time, right in our lives, but have you, have you heard them in this context of salvation? Is, is there is, are some of these new in the context of salvation? When it comes to you know, foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Sometimes, okay, that's okay. All right, now, uh, so these words, as I mentioned, might be new. So, but but we're we're going to flesh it out. So here we go. First question for you. So, what phrase in in that section of scripture? Did you see report? Uh, excuse me. Did you see repeated four times? So in Romans eight uh, twenty nine through thirty, there was a phrase repeated four times. So I was just curious if it if it showed up in your in your translation. 
he. Uh, the translation I have as he also, he also, he also, he also. Yeah, so four times. Interesting, huh? So, so why is it important? So, what, so what's important about this phrase? Right. Correct. So, right. So, kind of, that's a good point. So, have you ever kind of tried to talk a movie that someone wasn't familiar with? And you're trying to get them to kind of understand the complete story. And if you're familiar with it, you know the story. But if you're trying to drop them into the middle of the story, they're kind of like, okay, so how do these characters work together? I don't understand. And so you're trying to work them through it. You know, sometimes you might miss something. So, I, so it's kind of like in the same context of understanding like the salvation process. Um, you know, we, we're dead in our trespasses, so we're kind of, you know, we don't fit into that link until we are called by God because we see that we are he foreknew he predestined and then that called part is kind of us being dropped in to that link into that continuity but God is sovereign over it all all right so next question for you what is the tense of these four actions so what's the tense past tense so what is that so what is so what is that telling us then if it's a past tense. Right. So we've, have, have any of us had that ability to kind of be in the past tense and set up our salvation ahead of time? No. Right. Very good. So the next question is if, um, excuse, excuse me, I skipped a question. So here's the next question. Who is carrying out each of these four actions? There you go. Very good. Absolutely. So, so why is that important then? So why is it important? I mean, yes, as, as Christians, we understand it as important, but why is it important? Right. 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 And it's, it's a repentant faith, right? It's a repentant faith because then we're, we're laid bare. We know the understanding of what it means. Like, okay, wow, I am a sinner before God. I am under wrath because as we saw in Ephesians, it pointed us to that we are children of wrath. We are alongside other unbelievers as, as children of wrath, but then we are separated from that. All right, yeah, very good. And then... And then it's the first, uh, and so we notice this, so a repentant faith, as you said, we notice this is the first response in God calling us, and even our faith is a gift from God, as we see in Second Peter, Second Peter 1.1. 1, 1. We see that it is a gift from God. Uh, we'll take, we could take a quick look at that. Um, Simon Peter, slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So that's that's where that that's where that the that reinforcement comes from is as a gift from God. All right, so let's take a quick look at the foreknowledge of God. So this is first Peter one, one through two. So if you're at Second Peter, just hop back to First Peter and let's take a look at chapter one, verses one and two. So let's take a look at the foreknowledge of God. And does anyone um, so, so the Greek word for this is prognosko. I probably said that wrong, but what this, how this breaks down is, is a conjugate of the Greek for pre, uh, preposition or pro, that's beforehand, and then gnosko is to know in an intimate way. So what it's saying is beforehand to know in an intimate way. So often, we as new believers, we sometimes think that the foreknowledge merely means knowing something beforehand, but... But as, uh, but as if our lives were, you know, kind of like, kind of like we use with the movie illustration that that God knew a movie and He already knows the ending, but that doesn't, but that's not exactly the correct analogy to use in in the case of salvation. So it's it's a lot deeper than that than just God knowing the end, the end part of our salvation, if you will, as a, as if it were a movie. But but it's it's uh, it's it's a deeper relationship. Not that he's watching our lives as a movie, but he has an intimate relationship with us. So that's why he calls us to himself. Um, so this is, so we we know that God has an intimate knowledge of us. Uh, what, so we see in in uh, in the Psalms, you know, where I, 
I believe it's David where he talks about you know the num you know, you know the, every hair on my on my head, you know you've numbered the hairs on my head. I've, I, mean, I try not to bring that up, but it's the first thing that comes to mind because um, <laughs> I know some um, some don't have as much hair, but but God knows, but He knows them all, and that, and that's and that's kind of fascinating too uh, to to consider that the intimate knowledge of of that God has over our lives because He's sovereign over our lives. So I know that's a I know I, I I've wrestled with sovereignty and what that means um, as well. And I'm, I, I don't really know the full depth of it. I think there's a lot of areas of sovereignty I'm still, I'm still not clear on, um, but working through it. So, so, so this is more than just knowing what will happen. It is planning it before we are born. So it's, it's pretty interesting. All right. So, a quick, quick statement here. Uh, so, so you know, I mean, we try to explain God's sovereignty. And sometimes we we want to be careful because we can kind of um, we can. I think sometimes in our in, in trying to explain it in in simple terms, we can sometimes get uh, we can mix Pelagianism in there or or mix a a false understanding of our own, you know, just maybe just a misunderstanding on our part. We could kind of muddy the clarity of what salvation truly is. So we we do want to be careful, um, you know, not not to mishandle it, if you will. Um, but we want to make sure we understand that it's God's choice for some for salvation by holding that. Due to his foreknowledge, he he didn't necessarily like God didn't look down the corridor of time like a like a telescope and say, "Oh yes, I see, I see Greg and I see David Bath and I'm just um, you know I'm just going to select them and you know I, well time will eventually catch up to him." But it's, it's but this doesn't really it's not biblical in, in that in that explanation is saying how God just could look down time and saw like well David Bath is going to believe or. You know, okay. Well, this person over here is not going to believe. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not like that. That's not. Um, scripture doesn't teach that. So what this is saying is, assume that man has a capacity to seek God and believe on his own, because him saying like, oh well, Greg will eventually come to Christ. So, okay. Uh, so, so we want to keep this in mind. That this violates the fact that unregenerate man is totally depraved. That we remember we talked about earlier, and we're spirit. spirit <clears throat> Uh, excuse me, spiritually dead, and would never seek after God. So, <clears throat> pardon me. So I think, um, I think when they talk about spiritual depravity, they, they they say like young children are are the correct demonstration of what that looks like, just being carried out on a daily basis. Because they are just they're just kind of like this is a this is a me world. I'm going to focus on. I want that toy. You have a toy. I want that toy. I'm going to take the toy. That toy is mine now. <laughs> so, so we, you know, we do see this out. I mean, um, I think we all have, I think we all have volunteered in the children's area at one point or another. So we we do kind of see this, and this is kind of, you know, we're we're helping children. Like, okay, no, 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 like that's that's not how we do this. So here we are, you know, helping them understand what it means to be share, to you know, to share, to you know, be loving and kind towards one another. So we get that great opportunity to, to reinforce biblical truths. <laughs> Uh, in, in those in those settings, and even in even in schools, we still we're still doing that as well. Uh, you know, I remember when when I was helping Brenna uh, before they shut it down. You know, we were we were in the schools having a great opportunity to teach and share biblical truths with children, and it was great. You know, even though it was after school, you know, we we had our shirts on, our badges, so there was no mistaking. Oh, all right, well, the Jesus people are here. I, I think I kind of heard some uh, kids like, "Remember, it's the Bible." Oh my, yeah, you guys can come check it out. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, so it's, so we definitely have a there's 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 something different about us, and that's and that's good um, to to the outside world looking in. Um, all right, so anyway, sorry, a little slight tangent there. All right, so uh, John MacArthur says, in his omniscience, God is certainly able to look to the end of history and beyond and know in advance the minutest detail of the most insignificant occurrences, but it is both unbiblical and illogical to argue that 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 truth that the lord simply looked ahead to see who would believe and then choose those particular individuals for salvation if it were true salvation is not not only would begin with man's faith but would take god obligated so sorry but would make god obligated to grant it it is such a scheme god's initiative would be eliminated and his grace would be uh, would be violated, or yes. So, so it so it shows us 
why we we want to be careful in handling salvation we correctly set it in its correct context all right so what is so what is, so so now let's look at the purpose of god in choosing some for salvation because you know that's that's the next thing right that's the, it kind of needs us to the next question if we're all if if jesus loves everyone he wants everyone to come and follow him correct but yet scripture does tell us in the same in, in scripture it says there's also some who who are not chosen for salvation and that's and, and i i know as a parent i struggle with that too because could that be one of my own children and that's something I struggle with uh, on a regular basis, looking at my, my beloved children that God has gifted to me and, and then wrestling with the, the biblical truth that one, one or all of them may not be called or chosen for salvation. All right, so let's take a look at that. And we kind of hit on it in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 where it, where it sets the stage, but we're going to go back to verse 1. And 4 through 6 talks about this, Ephesians 1. Four through six, I'll read it for us. Um, I'll back up just a little bit. Blessed be the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For He chose us, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in in His sight, in love. He predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to His favor and will, to the praise and His glorious grace that he favored us within the beloved. So I, I, I just kind of expanded it a little to capture the, capture the context. But he, he chooses so he may receive praise and glory for his grace, as we see in Ephesians 1, 1 through 6, or that's verse 6 there. And he chose according to his purpose. So that really kind of pits us arguing with God then, you know, arguing with his purpose then if we are to say, why did you choose some and not others? And then that kind of puts us in a position to argue with God in in in, the, in this context. And we kind of remember, like Job, when when uh, when God met him in the whirlwind. Um, <laughs> what, what, what did he say when God started questioning him? Yes, he's like he just wanted to cover his mouth. Like I got nothing to say. So, and and I, I know for me this is uh, this kind of reminds me of there are things of, of God that I, that are just not revealed to us that are going to be uh, clouded in, in some mystery. And we just won't, we just weren't, there's some areas we're just not going to understand that some things are not fully revealed to us. So, um, so yeah, that's a, that's a good one to, to wrestle with. So I've, I've got some more scripture here. If you want to, if you want to wrestle with it some more uh, afterwards, just let me know. Uh, so let's look at man's responsibility and, and so what we see here is even though God is sovereign in choosing those who are to be saved, man is still <clears throat> excuse me, responsible for his sin and the rejection of Christ. So these are two truths that create tension within us, right? I mean, I, it's definitely hard to hear that like, oh, okay, wait a minute. God is sovereign in salvation, but yet there's still a responsibility upon me to respond. And so what does that look like? So, so, let's, so, look, so let's look at that. So it's, it's mainly in the light of God's sovereignty's choice for for, uh, for some for salvation. So we know that God offers an open call. And we see that in John 3, 16, uh, Romans 10, 11 through 13, that there that a call goes out. And I, I remember, I, I hope I'm not repeating myself, but uh, I, I believe I am. But there was a gentleman that came to our church when I was a youth group. He was an inner city minister. He was witnessing to, he would go into the troubled areas and he was... Um, yeah, he, he was. He had a he had a Mexican culture, so I mean, he was he was a Mexican, and and so he was he was reaching out to the community that he once was a part of, but he was saved out of that, and he and he and he saw that he had a strong understanding of what it meant to be of salvation, and his passion was in was to turn around and try to save more souls uh, from the gang life, from the drug life, and so his his, his, his passion was that, which was it was incredible to to hear his testimony at, at that age, but he he said something that struck me. Um, he, he said, you know, I don't believe God's going to come until every individual on earth has an opportunity to hear the good news. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, know, I know I've mentioned this. But it reminds me that we, you know, we as Christians, we don't know who is called to Christ. So it's our responsibility to spread the message far as wide as possible and, and just trust that 
you know, trust that God in his sovereignty will bring those to him that he has called, but it's an open call. And we as Christians are, are reminded, we want to be that open call, being out there broadcasting the truth. And then we know that God is responsible, or excuse me, excuse me, man is, is responsible for his unbelief, and that's in John 3.18. And then man is also held responsible for not obeying the gospel. They're called to the gospel, they're called to repentance. And then man is not saved because he is unwilling to come. It's just a so there's some topics there if you're if you want to wrestle with those as well. Um, all right, and then lastly, um, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility are seen side by side in Luke two twenty two uh, Luke chapter twenty two verses twenty two, where God determined that Judas would betray Christ, and yet Judas is held responsible. Isn't that interesting. So it's, it's kind of a I guess some would call that a bit of a, a paradox in a sense that Judas was created to betray Christ in, the, in that sense. So, um, all right. Uh, any questions? I, I, I get nervous asking that, but I'll ask anyway. <laughs> all right. So let's, so let's get after our next section. So God's implement, excuse me, God implementing and culminating his plan of salvation. So what does it look like when he, he implements it and then he cultivates it? Um, and this also kind of reminds me of salvation is also, you know, when the good news goes out, we know from the parable of the sower and the seed, we know that seed is casted, the good news is cast far and wide, correct? And we see that there are different soils which the good news or the gospel falls on. So uh, I, I believe that Christ gave us that story as a good reminder that not to get discouraged as Christians when we're sharing the gospel. But we notice that the the farmer in there, he just he just casts the seed, right? There's no, he doesn't come back and he doesn't try to collect the seed off the ground. He doesn't try to chase away the crows and those that fall into the weed bed. There's no scene of the weeds being pulled apart, or you know, he doesn't try to reinforce the rocky soil with good soil. It just it goes out and then it just it just takes place. But but what is the reminder of what happens when the seed that falls into good soil? Well, what do we see happen with that, with that, with the yield that comes out of that? 30, 60, and 100 fold. So what an encouragement to us as Christians, knowing that if we've received the good news, the gospel, and then we understand our salvation, then we take it to others, there will be a multiplication of other individuals. But isn't it interesting, though, that we may not see those results, right? I mean, how often have we shared the gospel and we walk away, we're like, ooh. Uh, did I do okay? Did I, I, I did I say everything okay? <laughs> so I mean, I've struggled with that too. I, I've done I've done street witnessing, and oh man, I was young, and I, I don't that kind of man. That was that was an interesting experience for me as a as a youth to to share the gospel and then just get rejected constantly. At least that was the initial reaction, and it was just you know I would get in interesting discussions, and it was. I mean, it was interesting. I remember just being like fatigued where they just wanted us to go back out. I was just like, I don't have the energy to do this. I'm kind of, I mean, I, I was beat. But it's, it's, a, it's a good reminder. But then at the same time, to be honest with you, I don't, I'm not sure if the gospel that I shared with those individuals, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what happened to them. God does. God knows. So I, I'm going to rest in his sovereignty concerning them. And you know, I, I pray that the gospel that was cast out on to some of those individuals I pray that they came to Christ so I guess we'll find out when we uh, when we get to heaven right <laughs> all right so all right so we kind of hit on that there uh, so that, so that we're going to go into detail of uh, God carrying out his plan of salvation and then we're going to look at the different steps of salvation and we're going to look at what this involves God's initiative God initiates God implements and God culminates his plan so so those are the steps we're going to look at so the first step we see that god calls one to salvation and that's romans 8 uh, 29 and 30 we did we just covered that if i remember correctly i'm just going to loop back to it because Yes, Romans 8, 28 through 30. So we see that God calls one to salvation, then God draws one to himself. That's John uh, 6, 44. And then we see the Holy Spirit convicts one of sin. This is where we see um, the illumination of the Spirit sparking, bringing to life that dead soul. 
And that's in John 16, 8, 9. And then we also see where God grants repentance, a repentant heart. It's they're broken. The heart is fractured because they understand the sin that they have been living in. And then there's this outpouring of repentance. And we see that God gives one the faith to believe. And there are several references for that. Second Peter 1, 1 that we mentioned earlier, Philippians 1, 29, and then Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And we had, we had covered that earlier. All right. And then we see that God justifies the believer. Man, what a great... What a great reminder that God justifies us. And next, the Holy Spirit washes and regenerates. We see that in Titus 3.5. And then God promises to glorify uh, the, the individual that has now been saved. So God calls and then all the way down to God glorifies. So that is God's implementation and culmination of his plan for salvation. So we know that, uh, that each aspect of a person's salvation, we notice... What? Who's involved in that process? God, every step of the way, right? Absolutely. So man's part in salvation is is only to respond to the calling of God. You notice that, right? God. So so in all this, God grants it. But yet, we as Christ, or we as new believers now, or, or or Christians currently, we see that the, this is the response, the response to the gospel. That is our only calling. Uh, or excuse me, that is our responsibility is to respond to the gospel when the gospel message goes out. That's all man's response. That's that's his one responsibility. Uh, so John MacArthur says this: the only thing a person can do that will have any part in salvation is to exercise faith in what Jesus Christ has done for him. So so when we accept the excuse me when we accept the finished work of christ on our behalf we act by faith supplied by god's grace this is the supreme act of human faith the act which through though it is ours is primarily god is primarily god's his gift to us is out of his grace when a person chokes or drowns and stops breathing there is nothing he can do if he ever breathes again it will be because someone else starts him starts him breathing so a person who is spiritually dead cannot even make a decision of faith unless God first breathes into him the breath of spiritual life. So faith is simply breathing the breath that God's grace supplies. Yet the paradox is that we must exercise it and bear the responsibility if we do not. So, interesting, interesting. All right, so now, now let's look at the, the last step, right? What's the last step? The last step is conversion. So what does that look like? So conversion begins when God initiates the calling or the drawing of one unto himself. We, remember we, uh, we referenced that earlier in the, in the process. And that was John uh, 4, excuse me, 644. So this drawing is similar to what the, what the calling of the net was being cast out. And then it is drawn by the inward power and, and, and the divine impulse. So we notice when fish are usually in a net, it's not because they want to be in the net, right? They're fighting to get out, but yet the fishermen, when he casts that net, they are drawn in to that net. So that's kind of the word illustration they use when the gospel is cast in that net. It brings, so that gospel brings, you know, unbelievers to God, but yet that we see that action take place uh, by God's sovereignty. So God reaches out and draws men to himself according to his good pleasure. He does this, of course, through the preaching of the gospel and the reading of his word and the conviction of sin through the Holy Spirit. So, so we as Christians, we, we play an active role in this part. Uh, I don't believe there's the Holy Spirit or angels uh, preaching the gospel or, or reading his word, right? Because we as Christians are called to do that. We're called to preach the gospel, spread the good news, and then we're also called to read God's word. And, and that is read aloud. Um, and, then, and then through that reading and through the preaching and, and the hearing of the good news, there's this conviction of sin which is brought by the Holy Spirit. All right, so question for you. So what is the difference between the outward call of the gospel, <clears throat> which, may, which, which many might hear, and the inward call of the gospel, which the Lord uses to convert people. So what's the difference? Outward call of the gospel, which many hear. And the inward call of the gospel, which the Lord uses to convert people. That's a tough one, right? <laughs> Um, 
Right. Correct. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. So you're right. So you're right. Many, many will hear the gospel, but only a few will respond. Uh, remember when Jesus talked about, I am the door, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, he talks about there, the path is narrow. You know, many will seek, few will find. So oh, as a reminder that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it is a, it's a narrow road. And, and so we see that God calls few to him. Remember the big groups of people that we see in, in, that are mentioned in, I believe in Matthew, right? Some of them just show up and they're like, hey, give us a sign, heal somebody, you know? And then remember the remember also too the disciples talked about hey Jesus why, why, why are you talking parables sometimes like why don't you just tell them what they you know just tell them what they need to hear but he's like no I speak in parables because it's meant to bring to call those to to him that are truly listening truly seeking it's not just a um, you know hey here's a here's a bunch of free food it's you know hey I've got some good food here. How bad? Or not, not necessarily how bad do you want it, but yeah, here it is. But if you really want this good food, you know, you're, you're going to seek after it. Because, I mean, we, we all know there's good food everywhere, right? But there are some chefs who prepare really good food. So if you really want good, good food, you're, you're going to pay extra for it, and in, just in that degree. But yet you will seek after it in, in that degree. You'll, you'll go to the places that prepare really good food. And I'm sure you all could give me some recommendations, right? Of some good restaurants down in Charleston that make really good food, probably better than, than Chick-fil-A. Well, I mean, my kids might argue, but <laughs> they, I don't know what it is about that restaurant, but they, they do some good, good, good cooking there. But I'm sure there are better places, right? <laughs> so anyway, I, I don't know if that was the best analogy. But anyway, um, anyway, so let's continue on. So internalizing the gospel message, remember, can begins with the conviction and the recognition that the gospel's diagnosis of our spiritual condition is true. So we see that response like, okay, yes, I am a sinner. I am separated from God. I'm debted in my trespasses. I'm, you know, I have no way of, of bringing myself to God, but, I've, but God is calling me to him. So true conversion involves the conviction and the brokenness over one's sin before a holy God and is accomplished by a despair to repent or turn from one's sin and to follow after Christ. So to drive some of these points home, we've got a few spots that we're going to hit on or that's going to dig into what it means, the nature of true conversion and what that looks like and what that repentance looks like according, according to what God's Word says. So true repentance is much more than just, you know, like, I, I feel bad for what I did. Because we know, like, some, when that happens, there's a good chance they're going to return back to that sin if they just feel bad. That means, oh, you, you got me. You, you caught me with my hand in the cookie jar, but I'm coming back to that cookie jar. So it's more of a true repentance involving a change of mind, a regret for that sin, and then an ultimately turning from that sin to God. So, so that true repentance when the child is, we'll, we'll use the cookie jar for example, truly repentant of being caught with their hand in the cookie jar. They're like, all right, mom, I am not going to do that anymore. I'm going to turn away from the temptation to reach after that cookie. And I'm going to resist it when no one else is around and I could easily grab a cookie. I'm going to resist against that sin. So that means they're choosing to be obedient as we, are, as we do by being obedient to God's word. We're turning away from those sinful fleshly desires that do call to, that do call to us on a regular basis. Um, so, so true repentance, like as I mentioned, so involves us, you know, turning to Christ, looking to Him as the example, and then confessing to the Lord when we're struggling, calling out for help, you know, asking for prayer, um, you know, maybe calling a close, a close friend who whom you've confided in, and be like, I, "Look, I need your prayer right now. I'm, I'm wrestling with some sin. I, please pray for me. I need that, that encouragement." And then also turning to God's Word. We can, we you know, there can be certain go-to verses or verses that you can seek out for encouragement if if you're wrestling with a with a with certain sins all right so anyway moving on so then there's the nature of true saving faith so this true saving saving faith shows where we cling to god we cling to jesus christ mainly and that is the object of our faith our faith is in him in in his finished work on the cross and his resurrection all right and then also so so what do we know about true conversion can anyone give me an example of what of what of some of the examples they've seen of true conversion when, when you're like, that person, that person is converted. I, 
I, I knew them before and now someone different. Does anyone have an example of, of that? We could even just, even be a, I mean, not, not a drastic change, but there could be some noticeable differences. Right. 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 Um, and then what are some other fruits of the Spirit? I'll just throw it out there. Just a quick quiz. What are some other fruits of the Spirit? Self-control. Well, that's a good one. Right? Absolutely good. Uh, any others? Patience. Joy. Love. Yes. Sorry? Gentleness. Ooh. That's a, that's a tough one sometimes, right? Like, uh, yes, but self-control, gentleness, joy, love, peace, and faithfulness, goodness, yes, yes. All the things that, that, that we as Christians should be pouring out as an example of our true conversion. So yeah, just, just a good, uh, this is a good reminder, and I just want to encourage you, encourage us all to, to be striving after those things. All right, and then let's look at the evidence of salvation so so what this is going to do is mainly this is, this is meant to challenge us right this is meant to kind of reinforce our own salvation and and what evidences are we producing of true salvation and and of course we know and you guys already mentioned it like true salvation is is, is not void of the things you mentioned you know love joy peace patience kindness and also faith um, and you mentioned a few more, Brenna. I hope I didn't miss any but yes that's right so true faith is always marked by good works and we know that our good works are going to be tested by trials. We're reminded as Christians, this life is not easy. You know, we're called to pick up our cross, which was an instrument of death used by the Romans. And we're called to pick that up daily <laughs> and follow after Christ. So we know there's going to be trials and tribulations. Uh, what, what, what else do we see? When, when, remember when Jesus talked about the fig tree? Um, he talks about pruning, right? And what does it say that God will do to those he loves? Discipline. I don't associate strong feelings of love under discipline, but we know that those things happen. Uh, I could use a great example today. I, uh, I, I was disciplined through the correction of how I handled, I mishandled a situation. I thought I was doing it right. I didn't. I did not do it right. And I was, I was corrected through the people I work with that I messed up. And so I was humbled through that situation. So instead of just like, trying to defend myself, I was like, you're right. I got this one wrong. And so then I just kind of had to pull away and just kind of like, okay, Lord, thank you for that. I thank you for that correction. I want to learn from this. So I just had to kind of accept it. It was a, it was a bitter pill and a hard one to swallow, but still it was, it's something I've been working on too. Cause I've, you know, I've, I think we all can admit we all struggle with pride at certain points in life more than others. But yeah, you know, I've been wrestling with this one a lot and, and yeah. God's been pruning me in this area. So this this was one example. And I just want to share that with you as an encouragement that that uh, I think it's working, but it's not fun. <laughs> All right, and then another, uh, we know that true love is manifested in good deeds towards others. We look, we, we seek out to do good for others because we love them, and it's true love. And then we also have true hope, and that we, and that hope, and and that's kind of on display during the during this Christmas season, right? Especially Advent, is you know we light the hope candle, and we're always hopeful for the things to come, for the things that are coming to us at the end. And we have to endure whatever it is between between here and there. We have to be hopeful that God will that, that God will fulfill His promises to us, and we know that He will because He gives us numerous examples. And then we and then we're just called to faith. Um, all right. Then lastly, the, the security of our salvation, right? Because I'm sure we've had this discussion as well. Can I lose my salvation? All right, so let's take a look at Romans 8, 29 and 30 again. Uh, I still have it up. And, and let's just kind of look at the, the truths in here. It says, uh, we, uh, we know that all things work together for good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and those he predestined he also called and those he called he also justified and those he justified he also glorified so what does that mean so let's reflect on some of these truths here so we know that we're protected 
by the power of God, that we are now protected. We are part of God's family, and we are protected by that power. And we also know that God will finish what he began. Like he said, for those he began a good work in, you he will, he will see to the end. And we see that in Philippians 1, 6. And you also know that you have eternal life. So we're promised eternal life. That's a great thing to kind of remind ourselves of. Like, I have eternal life. Man, sometimes we forget, like we get caught in this fog of this world sometimes and we forget that there's eternal life waiting for us on the, on the end. And then, and then nothing can separate us from God. Nothing. And that's in Romans 8, 38 through 39. Same chapter, just a little, little uh, right at the end of the chapter that we cannot be separated from him. And then lastly, our salvation, it's actually not ours to lose, right? Because remember the process of salvation, it was God providing providing that links in the chain, right? Those five links. It's not for ours to lose. So if God is predestined to save you, you think he's just going to drop you sometime along the way? Like, oh man, you know, David Bass has not been doing very well. I think I'm, nope, no more. <laughs> I just glanced up. But, <laughs> but yes, so, so it's not ours. So God is predestined to save us. He's going to see it through to the end. And then he has called us and he's drawn us to himself. And it's and God has convicted us of our sin. And then also he's given us the faith to believe. And then he's justified us, just like we see in Romans 8, uh, Romans 8, 28 through 30. And he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He has sent the Holy Spirit to us now to be a counselor. To, to, uh, it also says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. So we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then he has made us a new creation. And then he promises to glorify us. He says he will glorify us and then we'll be called to Christ on the last day. So a true believer in Christ cannot lose their, their salvation. So what a, what a great promise that we're reminded of. So, so what is our response? What is our response to this? Uh, to know that through the whole process of salvation, God called us to himself. He, he foreknew us and, and then he used the preaching of the gospel to bring us to him and then we repent of our sins and then we trust in him and we act and we carry that faith out each and every day by trusting in the promises and knowing that we rely on him. Okay, so let's take a quick look at Psalms, uh, Psalms 116 and 16 and 17. And this is, uh, and this is a great reminder of, of what it means on how, on, on a good, good response to, the, to our salvation in Christ. So Psalms 116, 16 through 17. Lord, I am indeed your servant. I am your servant, the son of your female servant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and I will worship the Lord. I think that's a great reminder of the calling and a good response, a holy response to to what God has done for us. He has freed us from the bonds of sin. All right. Um, all right. Yeah, that, that wraps it up. Any questions, any concerns, any areas that we want to talk about more? <laughs> I, I know I... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. We got a little. We, we can work through it. Yes. now concerning that but you're, you're right because I haven't really dug into it to be honest with you uh, uh, concerning where Grace on the Ashley stands um, so you want to have any I, I, I guess the best thing to do is uh, grab an elder and or even Pastor Greg and <laughs> oh. 
All right. And I would agree with you on that, Aaron. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm, you know, to your point, I'm, I'm not a Calvinist in, in the full degree, as they say. You know, but I know that. But I believe. So I think, I, I believe in Scripture that yes, we. I, I understand. Um, you know that you know, we're predestined. That we've been called. He foreknew us. But you know, I still hold. To the, I, I. I still need to be out there evangelizing. Because I just, I don't know. I don't know who has been, I don't know who's been predestined or foreknown by God. I just, I need to make sure I'm being faithful to my. You're right. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Great questions. Yes, ma'am. Oh yes, so, so the deconversion, right? Is is that kind of kind of in that realm? That like the the, the I, I, we've heard a couple of deconversion stories. Yeah. Um, so for me, the first question that comes to mind, and, and I'll, I'll, go, I'll get to the prayer portion uh, quickly. But usually, the first question for me when I hear a deconversion story is, I want to ask. I would love to be able to ask them more questions about, you know, when when they. When they were first called, what, or what, 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 like, how were they acting towards the call of salvation? I, I think I would, I would have a lot of questions for them. I believe uh, for prayer, though, I think a good way to pray for some of these in, individuals that might be, you know, in that realm is, you know, praying for, for true repentance if they're if they are claiming salvation, but then they're deconverging or deconverting, you know, like praying for actually true repentance and then you know if you have an opportunity maybe sit down with them and just kind of you know start at the beginning like well here's the depravity of man and just kind of work through through those discussions and then just kind of you know see where they see how they work through those those areas and that, I think that will kind of help answer some of the questions and then I think we can just pray that the Holy Spirit will will reveal that they're that they're fallen their sin and that will break them um, so yeah it's yeah, those are good questions. Um, I, I can't quite say I'm a hundred percent. I hope that helps uh, in, in that encouragement there. But I believe, yeah, absolutely, we should we should continue to pray for those who are who who are wrestling with that, and that uh, a, a good sh a, you know just just someone who has a solid understanding of it can can hopefully get to them and and just sit down with them and just work through scripture and just lay it out for them and then and, and then. Uh, just leave it and just, just let God take care of the rest <laughs> in that sense, but absolutely. But just but just being faithful. I believe too, yeah, we can be faithful as well in, in just our prayer and you know, just how we're conducting ourselves in accordance with scripture. So that's uh I I, uh, I had a, there's another pastor we sat under and he, most of the time he'd just hold up his Bible and say, like, Well what does God's word say? What does God's word say? <laughs> so it's a good reminder. So we we've got to make sure we're soaking our minds in, in, in scripture as we've seen in a couple of lessons past. So absolutely. Good. Alright. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians. <laughs> All right. I'll close this in prayer. And we'll we'll and we'll uh, we'll close out this week. Uh, gracious Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for these discussions. Thank you for this for these questions. But also thank you for your word and what is revealed to us. We just thank you, Father, that we can have these discussions where we can encourage each other in love and good works, and we can spur one another on. And we're just thankful for this time, Father. I just um, I, I just thankful for those who are here tonight. And we just pray for those who weren't able to make it, and we just continue to pray for those who are wrestling with what it means to be um, what it means to be saved 
and, and what that looks like father we just pray for those who are wrestling with that we pray for the holy spirit uh to intervene or, or bring uh, bring someone to them that can that can witness to them that can present the good news of the gospel thank you father for for your finished work on the cross and the resurrection of, of jesus christ in in full bodily um, full bodily form thank you father that we can rest and we are we are saved, our faith, our salvation is secured in you. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, Father. And we just, we're just thankful for this time of year that we can reflect on the birth of Christ and what that means for us as believers. And we're just thankful for this time, Father. And we just, uh, we just pray you go before us now as we continue to work through the remainder of this week. Uh, and we, we press on towards Sunday, Father, where we can come together on the Lord's Day and worship you and sing praise and worship to you father we just commit these things to you in your in your son's name amen